Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman and we're up to episode 84 where I had a conversation with uh, New Zealand blues great, New Zealand blues legend, uh, the king of the blues in many ways in New Zealand, Midge Marsden. Uh, You'll know him from his work across the years. Um, when I first heard him, uh, you know, as a kid, the Burning Rain single and album was a big deal. And in fact, that's where we start our conversation, because uh, that's the first time I saw him. He was opening for Eric Clapton in 1990. The, I don't think the album had come out, but the single was big. And I was blown away by that. It was my first big concert I went to. So we had a bit of a chat about that. And, uh, and then we go right through his, his life and career. Um, playing in bands in the in the 60s and 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 working in radio in the 70s and 80s, uh, going back to music, music always there in one capacity or another as a as a sort of a teacher and a broadcaster and then of course as a player. We also uh, you'll remember, and I'll, I'll include a link to this, but you might remember I had a chat with Stevie Ray Vaughan's ex, his fiance, uh, Jana Jana LeBlanc. And uh, Midge was really good friends with Steve Ray Vaughan. He, he formed his own connection. He knew Jana as well. So we talked about that, about her and about the, the chat I had with her. But Midge had his own stories to tell about Steve Ray Vaughan, about getting to know him, about working with him, about attending his funeral, about um, planning. Stevie was going to be on the Burning Rain album. Uh, and obviously, sadly, that didn't happen. He was going to play on a track. Uh, we talk about that famous uh, Europa TV commercial. All of those sorts of things. Midge is still playing. He's got a, a, a weekly residency in Auckland on Wednesday night at the moment. Um, and he's still very passionate about music. And it was just great to, to finally meet him because he's a, he's a guy I'd never met before. But we have corresponded a little bit over the years. He, I remember he sent me photographs of him um, in America, uh, you know, seeing the Steve Ray Vaughan Memorial. He'd read a piece I'd written about Stevie and he, he wrote to me. I think that's where we first started corresponding. So I was up in Auckland recently and I got the chance to sit down with him and have this really wide-ranging chat about his, his life and various careers and his his passion, which is music, which is blues in particular. Um, and yeah, I, I hope you enjoy hearing this. This is me talking with Midge Marsden and we've got to thank uh, Tea Leaf Tea, Le Petit Chocolat and Yeasty Boys as always. This is Sweetman Podcast. Here you go, you'll hear me talking with Midge Marsden, Kiwi blues legend. Yeah. Why, is that, why is that? Oh, because I just love your work and admire what you're doing. So he really wants to talk to me. Wow, this, <laughs> this is cool. Well, this is—I mean, this is a great honour for me. We, we've never met. I know. We—we've—we've um, we've communicated a little yeah. bit. We've—we've—we've—we've, yeah. we've, 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 and I've obviously. I guess I've grown up with a lot of your music, and I've I've um, seen you play and uh, a few times. And uh, I was thinking, actually, the very first time I saw you play was right when Burning Rain was sort of at peaking. Yeah. And um, yeah. and you opened for Eric Clapton. That's right. And that was Auckland or in Auckland? Auckland. No, I didn't do. Yeah. We were, we yeah. now the whole family yeah. were massive Eric Clapton fans. Yeah. I'm I'm less interested in him now. Yeah. But as a kid. He was a big deal, and he was, you know, it was like gateway drug for me. Like I got yeah. to a lot of blues guitar through him, like finding out, yeah, well, as, as lots of people did, yeah. through his heroes and stuff. So, so I'm not embarrassed about being a massive Eric Clapton fan. I just, just lately have realised that really the last 30, 35 years of music he's done hasn't interested me all that much. Yeah, yeah, right. The gig that I saw that you played at, he was actually extraordinary. I thought, well, the band was extraordinary. The band it was 1991 was or 1990, yeah. and it was we, 90, yeah, 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 Because yeah. I think maybe Burning Rain hadn't quite come out, but the no. single had. Well, you, yeah. you, you certainly played it, yeah. and I think I, you know, it was a big hit already. Yeah. So it was single was, and um, I, uh, 
Yeah, what was, it was we were. I, I remember finding out about it. I was thirteen, I guess, and I remember saying, "You know, we should we should go. The whole family should go." We'd never been to a big concert, uh, and it just turned out uh, by a complete fluke of timing. It was the night before we were scheduled to fly to a family holiday in Australia, so we came up early and went to the show. But I can remember it being my first big concert. My dad said to me, "When your set finished, he's like, I can't remember any of the people that played with you, but I, you." A woman guitar player. A woman player. guitar player. Lynn okay, Campbell. So who, right. Lynn Campbell. You, yeah. you, you had a great band. Yes. It was a great band. And, yeah. and, and I remember saying to my dad, oh, my dad said to me, great band. Great, really great band, weren't they? And I said, I was so naive. I said, yeah, I bet they're going to sound really great with Eric Clapton. Like I thought he was just going to come out and play with your band. Yeah. You know, I was like, well, that guy, Midge, he was really good. But, but when Eric Clapton comes out and does his solos, yeah. so <laughs> I'm glad I, 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 when I, when I knew I was talking to you, I was like, I have to tell you that story. Oh, that's because, great. Because that's my naive first concert yeah. story. But I, and then Eric's band came on, yeah. and not to discredit your band, but Eric's oh, band was just, amazing. And then I find out that it's like dudes that had played on Thriller, dudes that had played yeah. in the average white band, yeah. you know, all these things. I found out in some cases yeah. years afterwards. Nathan East, probably one of the most recorded bass players of all there? time. Was he there? Yeah, then? yeah, yeah. Because he, he sung. He, he sung. Yeah, he must have been a kid there. He sung. Can't, can't, what is it? Can't find my can't way, find home. way home. He sung that and played um, upright. Uh, you know, like an uh, electric yeah, upright bass. Did, yeah, on, yeah. That, on that, on that track, yeah, on that, just for that song, I think, maybe for one other, but he sung it on the album or live. No, on the live, yeah, Nathan yeah, East sung it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we no, watched from the side. Yes, we watched from the side. But it's funny you should bring that one up because the, over the years, <laughs> the number of people who said to me, you know, I've seen you play yeah. lots and lots of times, yeah. but you opened for Eric Clapton, and I reckon that's one of the best live gigs we, you yeah. ever did. You were right up there with the, on the Clapton level. You weren't just filling in. I, I totally agree. Like, and it was amazing. And the number of people that you bring yeah. that up, the number of people that yeah. have actually come up to did, this day and still say did that. Did you do both nights? Because he did two. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So we went to the first night. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. as I say, it was, it was my peak... Eric Clapton fanboy moment. You know, I was I was into massively into Cream, yeah. Blind Faith, yeah. every, you know, Blues Breakers, everything, but particularly yeah. that Cream of Eric Clapton record. So like yeah. the best of his '70s stuff, and the and the you know Layla and the Cream stuff. Yeah. So and that was kind of the set list. And also, actually, the album that he had out at the time, um, Journeyman. Yeah. was a pretty good yes. record like yes. in, in the context of us just saying how I don't really like much of what he's done yeah, yeah. that that's, that was a pretty good record especially at the time Yeah, and so he, the three or four songs he played off there as everyone does when they're like sorry we're going to bore you with three or four new songs yeah. they were actually pretty good yeah, you know, bad love and pretending, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny? This <laughs> it, it, it was a turning point for you and for me. Like, still yeah. getting feedback from that's amazing. After all these years, yeah, yeah, that's still, amazing. Man. And, and that's not, you know, it's not a bad, yeah. not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. To yeah, do. it is a good thing. So yeah. that, that was probably, yeah, like, I was th- yeah, a gateway for some people into your career, like, in a way too. Like oh, some absolutely. people going to see, yeah. you know, and because Burning Rain was obviously a, a big, big thing. It was, and we, we, we. We can talk some more about that, but let's go all the way back. Yeah. Let's start at the start. Yeah. Uh, so are you recording already? I'm, I'm recording. Oh, oh cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, little machine. I, 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 as soon as you started saying how much you love my work, I pressed record. You know, like there's a there's a certain vanity that people like me do not have. Like I had to, I had to jump in and press record. Like also, no one's ever fucking said that, so I, I need that on tape. <laughs> so you grow up in New Plymouth. You're born in New Plymouth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What's happening there when you were little? What was happening? Well, we lived in an area uh, close to the port. 
the port area of New Plymouth. And of course, in those days in New Zealand, there was lots of towns like Timaru, smaller centres, mm. which were big overseas ports for, mm. for, for um, merchant merchant ships coming in, you know, the, the butter, the cheese, the the meat, blah, blah, blah. All, all the provinces mm. would take their product straight to the ships. So we spent a heck of a lot of time down, and it was called Tiger Town. Mm. The port area in Taranaki was called Tiger Town. Mm. And so in those days, you could walk onto the wharf, and we'd go onto the boats, and, and there's a milk bar there right on the corner of the, and the, and the seamen would bring records with them. Mm. And that was like a thing that spread all over the world, as mm, we found mm, out. Mm, you know, mm, mm. merchant seamen were hugely responsible for spreading all <laughs> yeah, that yeah, music yeah, to yeah. ports all over it. Yeah. Hamburg, you know, Southampton, Liverpool, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And uh, so New Plymouth, in a small way, was yeah. part of that network. Yeah. And we'd invite it onto the ships, and uh, because we were enthusiastic about music and stuff, and they'd take us to the galley and feed us food, and there was no, nothing untoward going on with seamen or anything mm. like that. It was just a wonderful experience. Mm. All these different ships from different parts of the world, and um, so the music they were bringing on the local jukebox at the mm. wharf was nothing like what was on 2XP, 2 yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, this is later on, like mm. when we were 11, 12, 13, mm. 14. Mm. But it opened up the, the ears to this whole bunch of music you had no idea. And also, there was this boat used to come in from the Caribbean. Uh, and they'd bring raw molasses and pump raw molasses, mm. which into and you could smell it in the in the nighttime. You could smell the molasses in the air. And it was quite sort of like yeah. it was quite exotic, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and, and they make it into big blocks for the cows, and they lick it, mm. you know. All mm. that sort of mm. stuff. And it's the first black people we'd ever seen. Mm. And it's like, wow, you know. And, mm. and then you suddenly you used to daydream about those ships when they go where are they going to you mm. know where have they come from that whole sort of um, fascination and sort of like uh, wow one day you know <laughs> so you're talking about yeah. you're talking about New Zealand in the in the late 40s early 50s yeah yeah 50s. and that's well early 50s early to 50s, 50s yeah, to yeah, 50s yeah 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 and so that's obviously that's outside of my immediate understanding but um, that's a New Zealand that probably felt in that time of the world, you know, post Second World War, I was just going to say, and it's not 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 like nineteen fifties America at all. Like nineteen fifties America is 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 huge and flash and exotic and a big deal and, exactly. and way out there, and people don't even understand exactly. it. And New Zealand's yeah. so little then. Yeah, yeah. So what do you what do you when do you first get struck by music? When does music very first take you? Well, I think that... Apart from those experiences you were talking yeah, about, uh, but well, is it earlier than that? Like, yeah, my uncle, in, uh, uh, post Second World War, they used to have a lot of big band music on mm. and they would dance. We'd sort of get really embarrassed when they danced. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, but they would do sort of big band sort of dancing and then rock and roll. Mm. Auntie and uncle, my mother's youngest sister and her husband, they were quite sort of hip. Yeah, yeah. So they day. And they would do rock and roll. So from there... We got introduced to from big band music, which I, my father always played, and that was a, an early sign of something that wasn't on the radio much. It was some mm, of the big mm. band, Glenn Miller and stuff, but the other stuff. You know, my father died like two years ago, ninety-eight, and he had Charlie Parker records and and bebop wow, in his yeah, collection and stuff. Yeah. Like what? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So the, I think, like a lot of people, probably like yourself too. There's that there's that music out there, but it narrows mm -hmm. to. Uh, and you have a vision of 
where you find your focus yeah find your focus yeah where's it coming from Mm. now i've always been fascinated by the roots of it where did it come from how did it get to you so and my neighbor lance and i were still really good friends in plymouth we built little um radios we'd sort of send he'd put a wire across from my house to his and he he was good with um, electronics and we do little radio shows for yeah. each other and shit like this yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and um and also he had a he had a big he had a morris minor with a huge big whip aerial on the back mm. and we'd go right up to the back of paratutu in new plymouth and park the car and tune into australian radio stations mm. straight mm. across the water mm. so it was always this kind of searching for that music that wasn't local yes that yeah, you yeah. weren't hearing at home you know? when do you when do you That's translate thing, you when know? do you translate that to any sort of playing yourself now you started on the piano yeah i started on the piano i wasn't really how far did you get with that oh, to begin with uh, until my fingers got sore <laughs> of the pencil whack <laughs> you weren't a good student ms carter they yeah always ms back then <laughs> and and, and I, I wasn't i was a bit slow on the on the uptake of trying to read i did my best you know mm. but i just couldn't quite do the both I was slow so what I did was I'd learned it by heart mm. you know I could learn it off by heart and then she'd go right uh, let's start from page three <laughs> down here and I was just completely Lost. stuck I couldn't do it you <laughs> yeah. know haven't committed that one <laughs> memory yet <laughs> and a dear friend of mine Peggy George lived down the road she was really good at theory and I'd take extra sandwiches and cakes and stuff from home and give it to her and she'd do my theory for mm. me so, uh, so piano it didn't last okay didn't, but yeah but it didn't obviously doesn't put you off wanting to play music because yeah, although or, or it did for a bit yeah i was never really that ambitious about playing the music i was just into it yeah and i used to hang around with some of the bands around town and they were all doing sort of like i used to go to the dances the big dancers in the star gym mm. and sit at the side of the stage and was that more and sort watch? Of, was it sort of country kind of sounding music a lot of it uh, or was it more, more yeah some of the stuff yeah, on the radio yeah, yeah. you know and yeah. you, little things would pop out of the thing like, I quite like the Mills Brothers oh yeah yeah some of these vocal groups yeah. the X-Bots and things yeah and platters and stuff yeah. and it wasn't like you know the other stuff that you, you mm. turn up no no I don't want to hear the, the naughty what is the Naughty Lady of Shady Lane, and oh. how much is that doggy in the <laughs> yeah it never appealed you so, say back then the the, the the white music was yeah. novelty music yeah. often yeah. and or, or quite hokey. Yeah, and it didn't jump out and grab you. And yeah. the and the black music, if we're gonna go white black, yeah. the black music, the yeah. R and B, the doo wop groups and stuff. Yeah. That's that's sort of where the real it's magic is, note. right? Yeah. Yeah. It's struck a note, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that I feel quite blessed growing up in a small town like that and yeah. having that little scene going on. So I used to hang around some of the local musicians and, and, and go into the dance halls and watch from the side. Mm. I quite liked the big music stands and they'd stand up and play big band music, you mm. know, and dance mm. and stuff like that. And I always quite liked the guy out front. Now I thought I quite like his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought he's got the full job. He does <laughs> yeah, the yeah. MCing and introduces the band. Yeah, and, yeah. And he didn't have to play anything. You yeah, see, call, call the dancers. And yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so, uh, and then, um, and then, and then the shadows came along. It all changed, and my friends played a sort of a shadows sort of band. Mm. And, and I just yeah, hung, everyone wanted guitars. Yeah, I just hung around. Mm. I didn't really even. Uh, try to play with any band at all. I just hung around and I got a Jansen White Swan guitar and started to doodle on it. And then when the shadows came along, I was doing a paper round and a milk round and saving money. Mm. And I, I bought one of the first Fender Stratocasters mm. in, in, in New Plymouth, possibly even in New Zealand back then. My parents were fucking hot. 
horrified. 120 pounds <laughs> yeah. back in yeah. 1963, 63 this mm. is, was as a deposit on a house. Mm. You know? mm. <laughs> and the, we- the average weekly wage was 14 pounds a week. I, my dad used to play in some bands, covers bands, yeah. and, um, in, in Hawke's Bay in the late 60s, early 70s. And when I started playing in a covers band, I, I, I remember saying something to... I was re- always really cross because my dad just gave up music, which a lot of pe- people people do. It happens like he, yeah. just, he just had a family and he yeah. had to get real and get a job. Like, yeah, but yeah. and I and I always and he he was self taught bass player and he, he he won't mind me saying this, but he does not know a note of music now. It's just been so long he couldn't. He he appreciates music. He still listens and he likes it, but he cannot play. And I was I always found that quite sad. And I, I um you know, but I remember sort of saying something about um him obviously not doing that well with music and my mum said well he made enough money playing music to put the deposit down on our first house first and, then, and she's like until you can do that yeah. you know then you, you've got to take your hat off to him and I'm like yeah. oh, that's true. you know that's, that's a good point you know so I first read uh, 1963 Strat from Sidley Wells Music Shop in Christchurch mm. they were getting them in through the back door through the airbase there yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Like Merritt and Columbus and the Invader they all they were getting the American uh, airmen to bring them over yeah right because okay. import restrictions back in <laughs> Those days were just, you know. Yes. And, they, and they also, which I thought was a great story, they eventually they uh, convinced customs that the Fender guitar would not work without the Fender amplifier. Right. So they were getting the amps. And <laughs> the, the, yeah. Anyway, I got this thing, and a young band, a young guy called Barry Gordon uh, from Stratford, they lived there, were farmers down mm. at Croydon Road, Stratford, he uh, was playing in the local band. There was always one band in the town, Hawke's Bay. It was Johnny and the Contacts. Yes. Wellington was the premiers, the band. Yes. Every, they did all the big gigs. Uh, he um, he was playing in the Nightlights. Anyway, he he found out that all these musicians found out I had a Stratocaster, so there was the... I'm going, oh, can we, can we look? It's <laughs> yeah. a bit like the... A bit like the um, the uh, Spinal Tap movie. Yeah. You can look. No, don't touch. Don't yeah. touch. You can look. <laughs> You've seen enough of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so everyone was coming around looking at the Stratocast going, wow. You know, I, I can only play about two chords. Bruce Lynch is also from New Plymouth. Yes. He said to me, you know, when I first met you, Midge, um, you knew two chords and I taught you the third one. You know, <laughs> it was always So Barry Gordon said, look, I'm forming this band as a backing band for a talent quest. Mm. Johnny Cooper's coming to Taranaki and they need a backing band. And and he uh, he said, oh, would you like to be in the band? Because, you know, Stratocaster. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he had ulterior motives. Yeah, yeah. He said, I'll teach you. I'll <laughs> teach you. So formed this backing band called the Blue Diamonds and we toured around Taranaki with Johnny Cooper, mm. da, 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 which is just classic, doing all the little towns and Johnny knew how to milk it, you know. And in those days, Talent Quest was just huge. Mm. Pack it out, Opanaki, Hawara, Stratford, Waitra, round and round and get to the semi-finals and the finals. And we started backing big name people, Tommy Adley, um, Jim McNaught, um, who else was there? Um, oh, Howard Morrison even. Yeah, yeah. And we have to learn all the stuff and back them. Yeah. And plus, with a talent quest, you've got a million people queuing up, and you're gonna, they're going to do two songs, and you've got to learn them real quick. Mm. So I learned really fast. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when, yeah. did, when, did, when did you feel uh, competent? Like, when did you feel... When did, you, when did it click for you that 
okay, like I can do this. Uh, this is actually going well. Like, where, did you, was there a moment? Do you remember yeah, a kind of a was. eureka it was moment? A, it, was, it was a slow moment because <laughs> I was pretty. I wasn't very good. But I was getting better and better and better. Yeah. And eventually, Barry ended up with the Stratocaster. Yeah. Because he was a bit of a pop boy. He was a right. small. Blondie, good-looking, all the girlies chased Barry, you know. Yeah. And um, and then we morphed into Barry and the Breakaways. Mm. Then it got a bit more serious, and we started sort of heading towards rhythm and blues, you know. And that he all evolved, and and that's when I first heard harmonica playing. You know? Yeah. I think it was either Woody Guthrie or Sonny Terry. Yeah. Was probably the first harmonica I ever heard. Although the Goon Show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With our crystal sets, <laughs> I listened to the Goon Show, and in those days they used to have like a music interlude, you know, yes. part of the music, yeah, musicians' yeah. union thinking. And there was this guy called Max Gelgrage, and and someone was playing crabatic harmonica mm-hmm. on him. Wow, what is that? You know, so then I realised I was never going to be a shredder, yeah. never going to be a guitar player ever, really. But I knew that I could sing a little bit, and I was quite good. I didn't mind going out front a wee bit, and I decided to be different. I'd learned a bit of harmonica, yeah, so yeah. it kind of evolved into that. And then you then you shape this yeah musical persona. This yeah that that you're. Uh, I don't want to say jack of all trades, master of none, but like a one-man band type thing, but you can also fit in with bands. You're, yeah. you're, you're a, a front person who can, that, do, can do bits of all three of these things. Yeah, that took a long time to come to the front part, but I was part of the band and part of the personality of the band, if yes, you like, and yeah, yeah. quite happy to step out there and be part of it. You know, yeah, yeah. Learned, I wasn't such, such a good vocalist at all, but I do harmonies here and there, but it was the harmonica thing that I was really pursuing. Yeah, yeah, so how did, you, how did you get good at that? Like listening to the records? Yeah. Going back to records yeah. and just hitting those? Exactly, nice? yeah. is it, you know. Because uh, the harmonica is one of those instruments, right, it's, I heard it described once, but I I played a tiny bit of harmonica, uh, and I never, you know, got too good at it. But I, but I, I love it when I hear great playing, and um, but I heard it sort of described as um, one of those instruments that you can play in a day. You you can learn to play it yeah. in a day, but yeah. it will take you a lifetime to master. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm still like that. Still, yeah. I'm a bit lazy. I don't practice, and there's so many great players out there. I've never, I've never sort of wanted to be a virtuoso. You mm. know. What's that young boy in Wellington, Terry Casey? He's oh, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then what's his name that plays the chromatic? He's bloody good too. Um, Brendan Power. Oh, Brendan, oh, he's in the stratosphere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that guy, Howard Levy's another yeah, one. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. man, these guys are. Yeah. No, um, I think he was a lawyer or um, plays chromatic. Oh, he used um, to turn up to every jam and one. Oh, Neil Billington. Neil Billington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good too. He's a very good player. Hell yeah, yes. yeah. I've watched yeah. him a few times. And yeah. yeah, yeah, his little sort of shtick of just, oh, I happen to have this harmonica in my pocket. That's right. If I join in it. <laughs> and you kind of go, oh, I hope this guy's good. Yeah, yeah. Like, but he is. And he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, because in the early days of the early blues harmonica, that's, you know, about the time I moved to Wellington with I was the just breakaways. I going to say that. When do you get to Wellington? Yeah. Yeah, 64. Uh-huh. Well, we got uh, offered a contract, you know, that was. HMV, you know, because uh, the word was going back from all these people we were backing. Oh, it's this great little band from Taranaki. Mm. Really good. They're young and they're kind of happening and they're getting into rhythm and blues. And so we got to Wellington in 64, straight from New Plymouth. You know, I had a job, which I got fi- fired from um, <laughs> because we had to back Dinah Lee. That's it. That, Dinah Lee was the, yeah. and she was huge at the time. Yeah. So we had to back her. And Bruce Lynch came in for that gig because he was the only kid in town that could read, mm. read charts. You know, we couldn't. So Bruce came and he was like 14, 15. Wow. And he, yeah. um, he, we backed Donnelly. And um, 
and the, the local paper were there to, to um, take photos. I said, make sure I'm not in the photo, please. <laughs> I was working for the New Zealand Insurance Company. Sure enough, I was in the paper. Next day, the boss called me in and I was fired on the spot. And I went home and I was crying and crying and crying. Like, what am I going to tell my parents? Fired. It was really, it was a... Fired because... Because I was took, took a day a day off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a you, yeah, you got busted on the sickie. Oh, yeah, you can't yeah, just take yeah, sickies yeah, in yeah, those yeah. days. <laughs> Well, oh, you can't. Man. You kind of can't. Now you get snapped on Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can remember it being a very emotional, emotional thing. I was going to disappoint the hell out of my parents. And yeah. What am I doing? And oh, of course, they were really not happy. <clears throat> but then suddenly, I thought, wait a minute, I could offend a Stratocaster. I'm a professional musician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we moved to Wellington and we made four or five singles, had a bit of a hit with Sea Cruise, which is a copy, because in those days, HMV, you go down to the warehouse and yes. truck loads of 45s yeah. and you'd sit there and listen to find something to rip off, basically, to rip yep. off and yep. do a cover of it. Yeah. And we made uh, two albums up in the early uh, HMV studio in Victoria Street, right by mm-hmm. Choose Lane. Mm-hmm. Upstairs there is where the first studio was. And it was all two-track, of course. Mm. You know, it's pretty wild, sort of mono mm. sort of stuff, really. Mm. And then Barry didn't like the direction. He left. Dave Hurley came in, because we were kind of, by this time, really... <clears throat> Obsessed with rhythm and blues now. Mm, we were really mm. in there, you know. The pretty things, the Stones, Manfred Mann, Yardbirds, the 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 Downliners sect, all mm-hmm. these men, them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and we made friends with the Chants from Christchurch, Chants yeah. R&B. Yeah. So we, our focus was quite sort of definitely R&B, rhythm and yeah. blues, and that was it. And the harmonica players were getting better, and uh, and I was trying to get better, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. That whole period of time just it went quite quickly. You seemed to think that was years, and then I got national service, went into the, the army, which really kind of was the end of it. In '68, it was about '68. Got the ballot system back in the day; they drew you number mm, out of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went to Burnham Military Camp down in freezing cold, bloody place, just out of Christchurch. And John Grinnell, John Hoare, yeah. was in the same thing as me. And, uh, Did you have the harmonica with you? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the guitar yeah. or just the harmonica? Just the harmonica. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I used to play a bit with John. Yeah. You know, the poor old John. He got dragged around to the to the um, the staff, would sort of, come on, boy, he was big. He yeah. was big, you yeah. know. Yeah. And they come and get him out of his dormitory, you know, these little huts that were freezing cold, take him around and party up and then bring him back at four in the morning. <laughs> and he had to be standing to attention the next morning. I'll never forget that for, for old John. He was, the, he was the popular boy at that time. Yeah. And um, so at the end of that, uh, really, the boys carried on as a three-piece. They went to Nelson, had a residency in Nelson, Dave Orham, Dave Hurley, Brian Beecham, carried on. But the 60s was coming to a close and it was a bit, it was getting a bit tired now. We'd sort mm. of been there, done that, lost that momentum when, when I went to the army, really, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And when do you get, um, you know, all those sort of like R&B beat combos mm-hmm. that are all, yeah. that are all raised on... The sort of early blues, English hour of yeah, yeah, really. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. but that stuff. The source of it is, is them checking out the blues records and, and putting their sort of spin on it and all of that and like creating a, a you know their sound out of that. When do you go back to like to to the source that they do? Like, are you already? Yeah. You, I mean, I, I mean, you're known as a kind of blues historian, a blues encyclopedia in a way. You're a guy that's, yeah. you know, uh, people people would, would rightly refer to you as New Zealand's king of the blues, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 So how, you know, 
when do you when do you start I guess researching yeah, that started uh, really with, um, we, I was always fascinated by, you know, like people at John Miles said, look, all these names on the record, seek them out and mm. go look. Mm. And by that time, Colin Morris had come to New Zealand. Yep. And so we started, and Bruce Hawkins, and you guys my friend together. in Plymouth, and mm. he started importing records, we started importing records. What was Colin's deal when he first, because I mean, I know Colin well, but like, yeah. so he, he comes out to New Zealand on the boat yeah. from, from the UK, and you meet him. Pretty much the day he comes out, just about, saying, yeah. Just about, and you guys yeah. live together, and you guys yeah. um, obviously talk music and share records and turn one another on to things. But what was Colin's deal when he first came out here? I, I don't actually know that. I mean, I, one day I'll ask him. But what did well, he come well, out here to do? And and I'm not sure what they were called the ten pound palms. Yeah, I, yeah. That, that, that was earlier, mm, I think, mm. but later. But I remember he said that they thought, they were convinced that when they arrived in Wellington, that they were going to have boats come rowing out with Maori people in them right. and carrying them. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And grass skirts carrying them. <laughs> I'll never forget that. They were told that was what was going to happen. You know? <laughs> I'm not even sure how we met, but we just had this absolute obsession and fascination with this music we keep discovering new people yeah jb lenoir and sonny williamson and walter Horton, all these people who are these people mm. it was all overwhelming it was mm. just overwhelming and it just became in love with the whole idea of it how did it come to be how how did that happen? You know, blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. And then so we started getting books, and um, then I joined the NZBC after I came out of the army, and the breakaway thing had come to an, a halt, it was mm. all over. And um, I joined the NZBC, walking past Bowen Street one day and walked in, and they were looking for young, kind of hip people who knew a bit about music to combat private radio. Yeah. That yeah. Was then. Yeah. So um, I got the job in the program department, you know. But so going back to the Colin thing, and another guy called Bob Child from came. It was also an Englishman came. He lives in Wanamata. He had a massive collection of stuff, and he sat down and told us he'd seen Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters wow, in the local yeah, yeah. little hall in, in in London before yeah. even coming here. You yeah. Know? And we go, wow. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So that whole that whole kind of. Yeah, envelope opened big time yes. through the stones, through John. As I say, it was overwhelming the yeah, amount yeah, of yeah. music that you tried to absorb, and yeah. so it just became a lifelong kind of interest for me. Yeah, you know? and I, I, just that's how it kind of was, and I played a bit as well. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. so in your timeline, yeah. we're up to we deviated there, but we're up yeah, to the early seventies. No, 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 it's good, and um, we're up to the early seventies. One, yeah. one, one sidetrack that I want to make before we go back to that is. How early do you get the name Mitch? Right. Um, I was about... I went to West End Primary School, just down near Tiger Town, mm. um, and I was... I got the name. Well, I was small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be yeah. smaller than everybody else. So, yeah. And this guy called Roger Slight. He was a bit, not a bully, but he was like yeah. uh, midget master. And we used to play Last Man Over or Bull Rush. Yeah. It was the thing you played in lunchtime and after school. And one person would run, and someone would stop him. So slowly but surely, you'd be end up. I'd end up practically the last guy left, and there's 30 guys you've got to get through. Mm. 
and I could run like the bloody wind. I knew I could just scamper. And it was small. Survival. Survival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Survival. And duck and weave and twist. So that's where it came from. I was about sort of eight or nine, I yeah, right. think they called me a midget. And yeah. Marsden, it just rolled. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm Keith, really. Yes, yeah, yeah. So Keith. I was going to say, who calls you that? Yeah, Roger Slight. His who? name was Roger Slight. No, but who calls you Keith? These days, I'm a, anyone. My family, Your family, do. Yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah. Um, friends, uh, Dave Hurley would say, "Hello, Keith." Kills <laughs> <laughs> me, Keith. Yeah, the mm. old, I think it's more human now. I tell people my real name, and they go, "Hey, no, 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 no. you're not a Keith. <laughs> Stick to Midge." So, Mm-mm. yeah, interesting, isn't it? That nicknames, you know. <laughs> yeah, so that was yeah. that was always Midge. It, it just stuck. It yeah. absolutely just stuck. You know, I, I've yeah. never really tried to get rid of it. It's no, 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 to, no, you know. no, no. I was just curious. I wondered if it was. I, I thought I'd read at some point that it was a, a school thing, like a you yeah. know you just grown up with it. But yeah. I, I wondered if you had always essentially made music under that name, like yeah, I you, did. Know, you know people will call you that in the early bands. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, I stopped playing. Um, yeah, got married, had uh, two children quite quickly. Uh, 1969-70, <clears throat> worked to broadcasting to nineteen seventy five. Yeah, and then I started. Um, got, met a guy called Peter Colton and Peter was like a, a Waylon Jennings kind of a mm. rebel he loved the rebel country music and mm. he started playing a pub at the Royal Tiger and then eventually started getting other musicians in and I went down there just to play a bit of harmonica with him mm. that was all mm. you know because I'd never worked under my own name ever yeah, yeah, until yeah. this time ever yeah. I'd never been oh it's Mitch Marsden and there's something or rather or yeah. yeah yeah never, you're never. just a part of a band I was always just part of the band yeah yeah you know? yeah and um so that's how that came being. All of a sudden, country rock was the new thing, you know. The Birds, New Riders of the Purple Sage, Commander mm. Cody, Grand Parsons, mm. uh, Grateful Dead, this whole new sort yeah. of country yeah. rock. Hippie movie. country. Yeah, hippie country. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, Poco, yeah. Um, all of that sort of yeah. stuff. So I just started playing a bit of harmonica with them and then got the old uh, guild guitar out again and started a bit of playing and then Peter Colton left. And then we built up this little following of this little country rock band in the Royal Tiger Pub. We played on a Monday and a Tuesday from 8 to 10. Mm. That was it. Martin Hope, um, Kevin Watson, uh, Richard Kennedy. Uh, sometimes Clinton Brown would play. Sometimes Kevin Bailey would sit in. And um, everybody would mm. sit in with mm. this band. Well, mm. We had the bassist. Jimmy Laurie was the drummer. Um, several bass players, Neil Hannon, that's why I first met Neil. Mm. But Neil, uh, back in the day, that's right, the Auckland, we started up a blues club. That's right, in 1970, I'll backtrack a wee bit, because mm. mm. I got into broadcasting, right, and had this sort of rhythm and blues thing going on. Yeah. And blues was starting to sort of really become an important part of the psyche. A lot mm. more people were getting turned on to it now. And it was sort of, I was still a wee bit hooked into the English, American R&B stuff, like the Paul Butterfields, the Electric Flags, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Musselwhite, early, early, still slightly more white rhythm and blues than black, but some yeah, of the yeah. black stuff was coming in, you know. And, and a direct um, influence from the, the early black recordings and that, you know, guys, yeah. guys who yeah. took that as their source. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I went along to the bosses thinking, well, I'll have a go at this. I was working on 2ZB and 2ZM as it was, and ZB had a huge signal, still mm. has, mm. could go for miles and hundreds of miles, you know. Mm. And I went to look, there's this new music, you know, it's called blues, and um, could I get my own blues program, get a blues program? And they said, 
okay. So it was like 10.30 at night on mm. a Monday and a Tuesday, something like that. And I'd get sort of Craig Pollock, Lloyd Scott, and John Steer, any voices mm. I could get and write out a bit of a script and started playing blues on the radio, started getting mail. Mm. And um, it just spread. And it, it just it went for like two and a half, three years, this program. Mm. And it was, it was amazing. There's another story that I love to tell. Um, at that stage, uh, the Windy City Struggles were around. Yeah. Um, and Neil Hannon, who later played in the Country Flies and plays with me now, mm. his brother and he came from Tawa, and they had a band called the Capel Hopkins Blues Dredge. And, 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 and John O'Connor and those guys started to evolve with, um, with, with Rick singing up front, I don't know mm -hmm. what they were called. But these local blues bands started to appear, mm. and they had a blues club down in Choose Lane. It was a place called The Place. So it was quite, it was starting to happen quite well. A lot of people said, "Oh, it's all because of you playing this program," you mm, know. Mm. And all these people, letters, people write letters from boarding schools at like Wanganui Collegiate and, yeah. and Christchurch, and saying, "Oh, we'd sit, hide our little crystal sets our radios under the blankets and listen to this music. What is it?" Yeah, yeah. Because you know? I was going to say, yeah. and, and um, yeah. you mentioned him then, and another guy who I, I guess, like yourself, is is given this sort of unofficial title of being, you know, like an important um, educator as much as anything yeah. as Rick Bryant, right? He's oh, another, absolutely. Another guy who, he's the source for a lot of people and Bill. in New Zealand. And yeah. Bill Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, not just in terms of their own playing, their, their, their knowledge and taste their of knowledge. music. Yeah. yeah, and I yeah. Was, we were starting to sort of rub shoulders with these people yeah, now yeah, through yeah. the blues club, you yes. know. And I used to love the strugglers. I mean, they yeah. were just authentic. You know? Anyway, I've got this, I've still got it, yeah. I think, somewhere. i got this letter. All typed out actually, or well, maybe it was written mm, out, I think. Mm. And it was from Bill and Rick. Said, Look, uh, hi Mitch, you know, da, 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 da. we really like you know what you're doing with this blues program, it's fantastic. But listen, you really need to get off this track of playing all this white stuff. Mm. It was very polite, mm. but it was sort of saying, Listen, you've got to listen to this. The, you've got to go back to the source. You've got to go yeah. back to the source. Yeah. So oh, we're happy to get together with you yeah. uh, if you'd like. But it was like, it was like a wake-up call for me. I'll right. never forget it. Yeah, right. It was fantastic. They said, listen, we'll point you in the right direction. It's okay. It's great that you're playing a lot of the stuff, but it's too much of this white yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not so many words, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget it. It was just brilliant, you know. Yeah. So this is, you know, he, he, you know, here's what you've got to do. There's yeah. no question. If you want to continue this. So where do you find that stuff, like, then? Like, where do you... Well, I the mean, National Programme had quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're importing records. Yeah, yeah, Colin yeah. Morris had opened up his first shop, yep. I think, by then. Yeah. And um, HMV, local record companies were starting to release a yeah, lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it, it sort of blossomed, really. Yeah. That whole kind of thing. But I spent thousands and thousands of dollars importing records. That was a big thing. Mm. And a lot of friends did too. Another guy from Newlands, of all places, uh, not, not Dombrowski, um, he was Polish. Um, he was just a young single guy with sort of geeky glasses and stuff, and he spent all his money importing stuff, and he turned up with truckloads of records, mm, you know. Mm. So all these people had collections, and they'd come and lend us stuff, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So as well as like using them on the radio, you're starting to hear all this other stuff. Mm had never heard before. Mm. So it was like an amazing time for a lot of us in that time. Mm. So this is mid-70s. Yeah. Yeah. Getting on the early 70s early to mid-70s, mid yeah, yeah. learning about this mm. music. Mm. It was just, a, it, was, it, was, it was a great time. So you... And that's where we got to know Colin really yeah, well, yeah, Colin yeah. Morrison. Yeah. We'd sit up all night for, sometimes for days, just mm. listening to new stuff and listening to these new guys and, you know, um, Howling Wolf and... Uh, 
who was my um, a double trouble? What was his name um, Otis Otis Rush? Yeah, yeah. People like him, he would just tear it up. Mm. And he had that Hendrixy kind of sound, mm, mm. you know, before Hendrix. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you started to sort of specialise a bit more, and some of them you'd sort of brush to one side, and they were mm. okay. But here's, mm. here's, here's the real deal. Here's the real deal. The stuff that moved yeah. you, you know, yeah, really yeah, got yeah. you. So then my my interest in it sort of developed as to a hobby in learning about it and getting more books and um, pretty hard to get any footage. And the American Library used mm. to be up uh, Thorndon mm-hmm. for years and years. Do you remember the American Library? Yeah, yeah. They had a lot of stuff yeah. and books, and they were really helpful. They thought yeah. it was just great. It was quite friendly back then. It was easy. Oh, you want access to this? And when they shut it all down, they got in touch with me. I was still on radio, mm. and I went up there and had all the books they never wanted because they were going to shut it all down and get rid of it all. Mm. I said, they're not going to dump it, are they? Well, most of it's going to be dumped, so you help yourself. Wow. So I got records and books from yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, you know, so, and, and yeah. What about um, yeah. around that time, were you seeing some of the rock and roll and blues guys that were coming to New Zealand I'm thinking like in the 70s you know Chuck Chuck Berry or BB yeah. King you know yeah. those sorts of people Sonny Terry Brown yeah. McGee yeah. any of them so you, you're going to the shows going as well. to all the shows yeah I remember John Mayall coming out with some unusual bands he had Blue Mitchell on trumpet he experimented yeah he did John the drummerless thing for yeah what's that turning point that's probably that the record? first unplugged record I remember. I love that album. Oh, like, I love it to is pieces. It's like 69 or 70? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still yeah. play Room to Move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I come and go with John Mayall stuff now, but yeah. there's two or three key records, I think. Oh, you know, absolutely. Obviously, there's the. He was a big the, influence. The Clapton Blues Breakers one is. Absolutely. is but I think that with turning. The comic. Yeah, yeah, but I think that turning point record is. is it is, is phenomenal. Kind of underrated in a way, too. Yeah. Or, you know, lesser known. Who was the guy? Armand. Oh, Mark yeah, Armand. Some really good players. It's like real jug bandy sort of stuff. It was brilliant. But, yeah. The whole idea yeah. of it was brilliant, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I still talk about that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to get now. It's yeah, I've got to. I've, I, I, I think um, Colin and Morris might have put me onto that. Yeah. Or Seamus yeah. when he was. Yeah. It was. It was yeah. in that fisheye shop. Yeah. And I, so I got to reissue the CD, you know, twenty odd years ago. Yeah. And then I've, I've got the record now, but the LP. But yeah, that, that was, probably came from Colin. Yeah. When I think about Colin, it, one, yeah. of, one of many um, good discoveries yeah. through him. Yeah. Yeah, we were as thick as thieves back yeah, in those yeah, days, yeah. you know, with with all that stuff and just like this, we were like this cult. You know. So I, I, when I <laughs> yeah. when when I when I met you just yeah. half an hour ago, or so yeah. uh, I, I I shared with you the story of of Cot that Colin told me about how yeah. he went with you to the airport to yeah. meet BB King. So tell tell me your version of that. Like when was that? Right. That was that's probably the first time I think back in the day too. Just getting a slightly offside, yeah, but yeah. the the US State Department used to sponsor artists and take yeah, them yeah. to the world. Yeah, Duke Ellington came for goodness sake. Yeah, Count Basie. Um, yeah, it's quite incredible actually. Those like, country acts, uh, Buck Owens, and all these yeah. amazing Californian Bakersfield people. Yeah, well, it was just phenomenal. But I think BB King might have been part of that when right, he came. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I remember going to the airport. I said, well, "Really." What, what's he doesn't want to talk to us and he did yeah and uh, and somewhere later there I don't know whether it was that particular time but later on someone posted recently yeah you were saying someone some footage of you I interviewed BB <laughs> King and I don't remember doing it <laughs> yeah but uh I thought, oh, this is going to be cringeworthy. What the <laughs> hell was this young white kid from New Zealand going to ask BB King? Yeah. But I was looked at it and thought, oh, some of those questions were quite good, and I was quite confident yeah, about it because yeah. 
because he knew. He already knew, knew a bit about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew yeah, the music yeah. and you're passionate about it. And I'm not sure what's. Yeah, that was Simon. Yeah. yeah. So my, Colin Morris and I went out there and it was just yeah. unbelievable. Oh, well, yeah. Colin just said, I met BB mm. King in an airport once with Midge Marsden. Yeah. Uh, had a conversation with him that felt like it went for hours. If you ask me now what we talked about, I've got no idea. No but idea. I just know that it was wonderful. And I, I've just always thought that yeah. it was quite a neat story. Like, I can imagine what that would feel like. Oh, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. we were just yeah. beside ourselves and yeah. telling people, and they go, who? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, working from, when I was doing the Blues News program, I used to go and interview all the... Muddy Waters came as part of the State Department Yeah, tour. right, wow. And he had... Um, uh, Pee Wee Madison, I think, one of his guitar players, and he was on crutches, and he wasn't particularly sort of mobile. I was thinking, oh shit, he looks like he's in a lot of pain. <laughs> but I interviewed Muddy Waters and never kept it, and it was backstage, and it was about an hour. Yeah, wow. An hour, and he he was just like, he was like a, a region. He was a prince. He was like an oh, I was going to say it'd be like Muddy. it'd be like interviewing a mountain. Oh, you know, like it's he's just and the mana he yeah. had with his players. You yeah, know? he just totally. looked at them and. He's just, um, you know, like, presence. he's just a guy who I imagine, yeah, as I said, it'd be like interviewing a mountain. I mean, that, oh. he's not a person. He's bigger than that. You know, it's, it's just, and he's kind of everything. And like we discussed earlier, I wish we'd kept, I'd never kept that tape. It was on a reel-to-reel, maybe amongst some of my boxes of tapes, but I don't think I kept it. Interviewed him for nearly an hour. Yeah, wow. Oh, man. So we were talking, too, about... Yeah. You were talking about sort of how you get established as a solo act. Yeah. So that's in, this, in, in and just after this period, isn't it? So mid-70s. Yeah. Well, um, the, the the flyers um, evolved into there was a, um, a theatre group called Red Mole, mm -hmm. and in the so, Brun, so we were playing in Alan the Royal Brunton Tiger and Sally and, and as yeah. the country flyers. We started doing gigs out of Wellington, New Zealand. We started travelling a wee bit, you know, just trying to sort of spread the word. And people were a bit sort of surprised about what we were doing. It was quite left of centre back then. It wasn't very populous. Mm. Doing Little Feet, we were doing um, Raikuda, mm. quite a lot of Raikuda, early Raikuda stuff, and it was quite a eclectic mix of sort of rootsy music and a mm. bit of blues, um, mm. a few bit of blues in there. And um, so the Red Mole people approached us and said, listen, we, we've got Carmen Spelkany down in Victoria Street, we want to do this show. So we became the band, if you like, right. yeah, yeah. in this show. And um, it, Bill Stalker was one of the actors. He was uh, married to Beaver. He he was he was close to home. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Sam Neill. Quite a few known known people got involved with this yes. Red Mole thing. They yeah. loved it. Yeah. It was like a cabaret theatre. And Arthur Basting was the MC, and it was yeah. had this huge following. It went for months, and we yeah. did it several times. And then we all moved to Auckland. We got offered a gig with Red Mole and the Flyers. So we all upsticked, stuck sticks, and moved to Auckland, and we became just the flyers then. And then I got a call from a guy called Barry Coburn, and Barry had managed uh, Split Ends when mm -hmm. they first started, and um, he called me up, he was in Melbourne, said, listen, um, I'm managing a guy over here called Phil Manning, sort of Australia's Eric Clapton, if you like, and um, would you like to come over and join the band? Because he needs a bit of energy up front. He wasn't that good as a front person, so Barry thought I'd be the one. So that's when that happened, and that was like 77, after we did the Red Mole things in Auckland. I left, Beaver joined and took over as the front person. Then I went, and then I came back, 
That was a period of time was travelling in a station wagon for miles and miles and miles, playing gigs all over the place. And um, it didn't really end well. I lasted like three years. But uh, I, li I have lived in a big house with Brent Parlay, and he was a good, good Kiwi mate of mine. Mm. He's still playing over there. Came back, thought, what am I going to do? I, got, I actually got hepatitis really badly. I was, my skin was yellow and I wasn't feeling good. And Brent Parlane's girlfriend came home and said, look at you, <laughs> what? You're yellow. I said, yeah, I don't feel so good, you know. <laughs> so I went into the uh, Richmond uh, Exotic Hospital for, for Exotic Diseases and said, you've got hepatitis. Really? Come on, show us your marks. Show <laughs> us your marks, eh? What marks? <laughs> anyway, long story short, I, you got it off a plate or a spoon or a knife down in St Kilda, all those little Greek and Italian restaurants. But that was the end of me Australia. I just came home and I was sick. I went back home to New Plymouth with my parents and sort of got well again. And then um, started out, I decided to get a band together under my own name mm. for the first time. Mm. And did, a, did an album with Dave Hurley's Mandrel Studios in Parnell. And that was the Midgemars connection. Mm. I started working with Sunny Day, doing some gigs. So that's yeah. when that was the first time I'd ever worked tell, under my own name. Tell, tell me about Sunny Day, because uh, I, I love that compilation album that came out. Well, probably about ten years ago now. Yeah, but there's yeah. a good compilation that you know. I, I remember hearing "Saving Up" as a kid and just thinking it was a fantastic, happy song. Yeah. And then I heard it again, you know, as an adult, and went. Fuck, you know who'd do a really good version of this is Bruce Springsteen, and then I find out he wrote the freaking <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing. You know, I'm like, God, this sounds like a Springsteen song. Well, it is, you it know. Is, and, yeah. and then I find in my records, I've got the Clarence Clemens version of it because yeah. you know, Bruce didn't record it. But that compilation of Sunny Day, so it starts with that, but then it goes back to his like, you know, 70s and sort of 60s. The, you know, again doing songs like Poison Ivy and you know yeah, the sort of R and B stuff. He was in a band called the Sundowners. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. So there's some of that stuff on there. Yeah. So, so what, what was he like? And well, how much did you have to do with him? I didn't stay long in New Plymouth, but I moved up to Auckland. Paul Walker got me up to Hamilton. That was mm, it. Mm. He said, "Look, um, I'm looking after Sunny Day." I said, "Oh, really, Sunny? This big, tall Napui? Mm. Another sort of big man with a princely yeah, kind presence. of royal yeah, look." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and we got together with Sid Limbert and Dave, maybe, and um, and Sunny Day, and we became. Um, became the connection. It was like the Midge Mars and Sunny Day and the Kiwi connection. Mm. And we did Woodstock and Woodstock. Um, what's the name of the the series of big concerts? Oh, Sweetwaters. Sweetwaters. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we worked together for about two years with Sunny, mm. and mm. that was great. Like he he could just sing, man, and he could. He was yeah. a great soul singer too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But I, 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 as I say, this, this compilation album is just brilliant. Yeah. Like the covers. You know, it's like a greatest tits, yeah. but it covers quite a, quite a few of the different things he did, yeah. like finishing up with that sort of eighties pop stuff. But his his voice is, is fantastic, like a real a real kind of R and B um, singer, but with a croon yes. kind of capacity he had too. The, the exactly you know? what he had, so yeah. he can sing any of those. Yeah. Sort of like John Rolls. I, I was going to say, yeah, I can imagine him doing Sinatra Man, sort of stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot from Sonny. That 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 whole that whole um, part of my life, part of my career, was just amazing mm. being in a band with this guy mm. it was just phenomenal it was like 
he was this tall Napui black guy mm. at Maribai playing really kind of BB Kingish mm. guitar and singing and we shared the vocals we did harmonies and because I did play a lot more harmonica mm. I was you know two, two lead guitar players mm. but I learned so much from Sonny um, all the times of sitting around after the gigs about lots of stuff you know mm. he was a very wise sort of person and very yeah. worldly in, in, in one respect the stuff that I'd never thought about you know Murray Tunga and stuff and and he talked about the early, all the early Auckland bands, you know, um, the Kyliles and the, the the rise of the Pacific bands in that era. What was the, his, the late fifties and stuff? Which I never, we never came to yeah. Auckland. What was his the deal though? Was it was was he a bit sort of damaged? Was he a big drinker and you know? Not did he then. He smoked towards of, the end of his life or yeah, whatever. Yeah, he yeah. smoked a lot of dak. You yeah, know, yeah. Things. We all did, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't drink much. He was never much of a drinker at all. Right, Sonny. Okay. When we did those tours. Yeah. Right. And, and I think once that sort of finished, and I moved on and started working with Mike Farrell, and we moved mm. into the next phase. Mm. And um, but Sonny carried on, and then the word started to spread that dear Sonny was getting really trashed a lot more and drinking right. a lot more, and, and then eventually started seeing him on the streets of yeah around the, the glue pot, you know, sort of almost begging. And yeah, that's what I sort of heard. It was quite oh, a sad end. It was bloody sad. Life, track. right? He yeah. didn't look good either. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I have to quickly tell you a story. Yeah. I said, how did you get from Kohu Kohu? He lived uh, at the top. Uh, Rariri, Ra, Ra, Rariri and Kohu Kohu. And that's where the funeral was. That's mm -hmm. where he came from. And um, a lot of Roman Catholic uh, Maori up there. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Sonny was, you know. Uh, Hone. Hone Waikara, I think his name is. Mm. I said, well, how did you uh, get down to, to, to Auckland? He said, well, you know, I was seeing you a bit up there and said, let's go. I think I'll go to Auckland and have a go. So he came to Auckland and still with Horny Waikara, that mm. was his name. Mm. And uh, and after two or three months, he was finding a real struggle to find any work and uh, a musician. And so he went back home and his uncle said, look, you can't turn up on Auckland with a name like Horny Waikara. They don't know what that is. You've got to have a stage name. Mm. You've got to have a so there was this very famous singer called Doris Day. So we could you could be Sunny Day. <laughs> so that's how Sunny yeah, yeah. Day dropped on the road services bus and back to Auckland and <laughs> what a great story. That's brilliant. <laughs> Doris Day, you could be Sunny Day. That's so funny. You get on that bus Sun and you go back to Auckland and you you step out and you say, I'm Sunny Day. <laughs> that's magic. Some great stories. Yeah, so yeah. you know. And then he was in the Sundowners with um, who was the bass player who ended up in Turbs but died. Um oh, Tuba High Charlie. Yeah, 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 Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I missed that whole Auckland mm, scene, right? Know, but he talked a lot about, you know, the Carlisles and all those Pacific bands were evolving, mm. evolving in the Auckland area. Yeah, mm, there was mm. heaps going on back mm. then. But well, I, we, I was never really part of that because we were in Wellington, mm. and Wellington was always more of a rhythm and blues city. To mm, be fair, mm. that was where it was the most strongest part mm -hmm. of New Zealand was yeah. Wellington when it came to blues bands. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, with, with Rick and Bill and that whole era of all those people that were sort of all going to university for like 10 years. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But knew the stuff. And, so, uh, yeah. so we're into, we're, we're sort of into the 80s yeah, now. Yeah. And, and so what's happening there for you in the early 80s? This is, this is sort of you as a solo guy. Yeah. Uh, we did an album called 12 Bars from Mars yep. with, with Mike Farrell and stuff. And we did recorded two, two Bill Lake songs. We never had any hits off that one. It was just another album. And to be fair, from that time, we just got on the road, 
and just toured incessantly, just around and around and around, sort of, I guess, yeah. building up a reputation, and my name was getting a little more prominent, I yeah. suppose, but pretty much sticking to the rhythm and blues yeah. ethic, just playing the same sort of stuff, and Mike Farrell were writing songs, and we moved away from blues. I, I was never really a blues band, mm. not really ever a blues band. Mm. We always had other... Elements of the blues, other always, elements too, but yeah, other always. elements too, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I got pigeonholed into yes. that sort of, yeah, you know. Well, you know... Blues is a dirty word, isn't it, I for know. a lot of people? Like, yeah. it's weird. It's and, and, as is jazz, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, it's fantastic music. Yeah, I, I, you, you know. But for a lot of people, I, I, I mean, I tell a story. I remember my wife um, saying to her something about blues music or something, and she said, "She said oh, I hate blues music." I said, what, do, what do you mean you hate blues music? Oh well, I was in Scotland once, and we, you know, we we didn't know where we we wanted to go and get some food and something, you know, something to drink and something to eat. And people told us to go to to this place called Fat Sam's and she, in Edinburgh or something. And she goes, so we we walked for ages. We were really grumpy. We get there, and she goes, it's just a bunch of fat old men in Hawaiian shirts playing this fucking awful music. And I, and I sort of said, well, was it even blues? Do you know? And she goes, well, I don't know, but it's just ruined blues for me. And I think. I think a lot of people have stories of that sort of oh, version, yeah. you know, like they, it's not yeah. actually, you play someone, I reckon you play most people Muddy Waters at Newport or BB King at Cook County Jail yeah, or yeah. The Regal or something. At the Regal, or yeah. even, even, you know, like a Killer Clapton or Steve Ray Vaughan thing or whatever, yeah. and people get it. But the idea of blues, whatever it is, is, is kind of a bit of a weird mystery to some people. It and, is. and they have this weird, bad first experience with it. Often they see bands... Write the whole thing off They see of that. bands that don't get the essence of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blues is for losers. That yeah. one of us around for a while. Many bad 12-bar jams at a you know, jam night, and yeah. it's some sort of slow 12-bar thing that goes on forever. very average harmonica players yes. who want to get out there and yeah. just don't get it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because originally it was a novelty instrument. It wasn't until people... People like Sonny Boy Williamson, the first mm. John Lee Williamson came along, mm. and Walter, and Horton, it became a lead instrument. That mm. was something about the harmonica, how that evolved. Mm. That's why all this middle... And, and little Walter, in an interview, said one time, I never, never listened to any other blues players. I listened to Coltrane, mm. and I was listening to Parker, and mm. he copied the sax players. Well, I love how... Yeah, um, I mean, I know, I know it's a term that has been used elsewhere, but I always love... Darren Watson refers to um, Terry Casey as as playing the pocket saxophone, you know, and, yeah. I, and I love that because yeah, that's it, it conjures up exactly what you're saying, but yeah. that you can see the running of the same sorts of lines, you know. Oh, that, it's yeah. just one of those yeah. players. The people like yeah. Casey are just yeah. phenomenal. You know? Yeah, I, I'm a bit lazy. I've got a certain way of playing, and I sort of stick to it. You know what works, though. Yeah, you know, it yeah. works for what you're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So pocket harmonica, the yeah. Mississippi saxophone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, Another one. Or the, or the face piano. Yeah. <laughs> I always like face piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. So that, so that's what we did in the yeah. 80s, 84, 85, 86, just around and around and around. You know, I worked on yeah. radio yeah. again in Hamilton. I moved to Raglan in 81, had my house there. So it was just a, the years sort of disappeared of just touring, touring mm. and touring mm. and touring and just... Working musicians, that's all we were, really. And never really had any success until, um, um, through Murray Grindley and Jeff Dixon uh, and Saatchi and Saatchi, said, listen, we're doing this commercial, doing this TV commercial mm. um, for Europa Oil. And they thought, 
would you like to be in it like you know be part of it first of all was going up and recording the track and it was just Grindley with an acoustic guitar mm. and a harmonica or Mike Farrell played the guitar actually mm. and it was called Travelling On and we went out in those days of the big budget TV commercials yeah. but Jeff Dixon had a really good vision for it he was it was very kind of like Jack Kerouac on the roadish sort of thing yeah and Europa was hardly even in it yes yeah it's just kind of the sign at the just the sign the end end. Or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. it was too serious I should give you a CV have you seen the original series no they're quite good yeah just me and Grinley and um, Bridget Berger Bridget Berger she was a French sort of model from mm. up here and a few people and that was just traveling through the country and, and it was very successful. So mm. with the money, oh, it was huge money, I think, back in the day. 80s, mm. would have been 85, mm. 84, 85. I think I got about ten or $12,000 mm. back. Mm. It was a lot more. Mm. With residuals, like, mm. next mm. year, you mm. get the, uh, you know, three quarters of the fee. Mm. So I thought, I'm going to go overseas. I had one friend in Hamilton who had a sister in Dallas and got in touch with her. They picked me up from the airport in Dallas. I was in Texas. Holy! So Chuck, her husband, uh, was a big, huge guy. Charles, Chuck, mm. you know. Yeah. And uh, he played rugby for the Dallas Rugby Club. And so that's where he met Rose. Rose and said, three Kiwi nurses went to Dallas. And how are we going to meet men? Let's go to the local rugby club. Because rugby was small, but it was mm. there. And they all married rugby players in Texas. <laughs> mm. And he was an oil man. And um, he said, right, got to take you out here some music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go down to a place called Poor David's Pub in Lower Greenville. And it was a Monday night. And it was Anson Funderburg playing, he never sang, he played Strat, really clean, bluesy Strat, and Sammy Myers on harmonica mm. and vocals, mm. and we were at Poor David's Pub, what a great name, and it was great crowd there, and it was, this is the real deal, I was thinking, mm. wow, this is cool, mm. and the end of the night, I said, ladies and gentlemen, should we get Stevie up for a song? <laughs> yeah, I said, oh, Chuck said, this guy's, he's making a name for himself around Texas, blah, 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 mm. and Vaughan got up. Mm. And he had a night off, so whoever, whoever, whoever was like in town on the Monday night mm. would play at Paul David's, says Jen. So Stevie would go on the road and come back. So he got, Vaughan got up and played about four songs with Anson. And I was just floored at, who is this guy? Yeah. Who is this guy? So here's a, a bit of embarrassing story I have to say. Chuck said, hey, do you want to come and meet him? I said, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just happy to stay back here. This is my first... Week in Dallas in Texas. Yeah. No, no, come on. So we go over to the things and hey, Stevie, oh, man, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, New Zealand's number one blues player. I go, oh, <laughs> fuck off, don't say that. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, <laughs> so we kind of met and, and he was quite fascinated by the accent for a start, you yeah. know, and um, we chatted for about 10, 15 minutes or so about blues, of course, yeah. you know, and I said, oh, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So I said, here, he gave me his card. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, would you like to catch up and have a drink some or have yeah. more of a chat? So I said, yeah. So that's how that sort of started, really. Mm. So I remember going to his house and and uh, we'd sit around, he'd sort of play guitars and go through the record collection and he started teaching me all about the Texas blues players that he mm. was lucky enough to see. Mm. They were still alive, quite mm. a few of them. Mm. Lightning was still alive, uh, uh, Jimmy McCracklin, uh, can't think of their names, but all a lot of those older Texas guys mm. were still playing. They mm. were still around. Mm. So that's how our friendship just evolved and developed. Same thing as Colin Morris, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, wow. And, yeah. He, and he was just fascinated about the South Pacific and Australia mm. and New Zealand. He wasn't that knowledgeable about it, but 
how did you know so much about this stuff? He was just fascinated. Mm. I said, well, you know, through the same people that you kind of attached to, like mm. Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, mm. you know, but, but he'd lived it because they... Yeah, he was in the zone. He, like was, he was in the there. zone. He was there. You know, as I say, some of the older guys were still around. Still so playing. then he comes yeah. to New Zealand so to... I, so what happened was uh, I got a call from Jim Rowe. He said, look, you know, do you want to come back and, and do an album? You know, we'll get some money and... Um, and uh, have a crack at you know doing something good. So we got together with Mike Farrell, and um, got some money from Sony. Went into Air Force and recorded. And uh, I came back with full of enthusiasm mm. about this Texas backbeat, which I fell in love with. Because Stevie took me to see some of these bands like Brave Combo, incredible. A lot of Polish, uh, Polish descendants of Polish people and Germans. Mm. And so the polka beat and, 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 and Brave Combo played sort of like door songs and Beatles songs and. With a um, tango, oh no, what is it? Um, what is it? Polka. Mm, mm. And the, the, his parents, this guy, we wanted for Stevie's really good friends, and, and they all played at Polish weddings and stuff, and it's mm. all polka music. Mm-hmm. So Vaughan's, over the period of time when the playing evolved, that Texas sort of sound, a lot of it's like the backbeat. It's from polka music. Mm. All this sort of stuff yeah, yeah, I started yeah. to learn. So anyway, I came back and we did the album. Mike, I said to Mike, I, you know, I played him how the, the Texas sound and stuff, and how Stevie Ray Vaughan played, and and um, I think his first album had just been released. And it was just a bunch of demos, wasn't it? Yeah, in Jackson Brown's studio. That's right. And uh, so we wrote a song called "Struck Down by the Blues." It had that sort of Texas backbeat thing, and then at the end of it all, Mike said, "Oh, look, you know, I've got this other song working on, but I don't think it'll suit you." And he played like two verses in a chorus of "Burning Rain." I said, "Shit, that's it, that's yeah, one." So we did the album, and that was hugely successful. Mm-hmm. The album, and "Burning Rain" was the song. And then from there, uh, another phone call from Sachi saying, "We're going to do, we're going to do um, traveling on part two. Part two, <laughs> yeah." Um, now Stevie Ray Vaughan, can you do you, you know him? You know you've met him. I yeah. said, yeah, we've got a, a bit of a friendship, you know, and I'll, I'll see what I can do because I'd been back to Texas yeah, again, yeah, and, and spent some more time with him and going out on the road. And he'd and, been to New Zealand to play, or yeah, like with um, yeah. his brothers' band and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they double Yeah, yeah, So we were still in touch all the time, and um, mm. I managed to play um, a, a couple of. A couple of gigs with Stevie. I played on like, two songs, mm. but the very first time he he wanted me to come and play, I'd forgotten completely that they tuned down to E flat. <laughs> so I had to drive around Dallas looking for a fucking A flat harmonica because <laughs> I only had an E yeah, one. I thought yeah. that's not going to work. It was the Horton Pavilion in, in Dallas, and I couldn't do it. I had to go. <laughs> I said, unless you go to E. Nah. <laughs> and the keyboard player had to play black notes all the time. Yeah, yeah. It must have been boring as bad. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, do you think you could get Stevie? Would he be interested in coming and doing Travelling On Part 2? Because he'd met Jana. Yeah, I was going to say, so he's got re- other reasons to be in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, well, look, I'll get in touch with him. So I phoned him up and talked and said, look, this is, you know, TV commercial uh, that we've done. And I sent him, the, sent him a cop and he really liked it. And I uh, said, so would you be interested in being in it? So he said, well, yeah. 
Yeah, oh, we'll talk about it as long as in the end, as long as John is in it as well. Mm-hmm. That was the double whammy. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. But he he jumped at it coming over yeah. to New Zealand, and going on the road filming it. it was yeah. a good shoot, you know. Yeah, Jana said it was uh, um, a really fun shoot. She oh, said, you know, like what a, it was just a great party thing to it do. Was. Like she, um, when I talked to her, yeah. she arrived at my house within about half an hour, I think, of you messaging me saying that you were off on your trip. Like when I I said to you we should catch up and have a chat one day and you said I'd love to um, taking off for a few weeks you know so I, I said to her she walked in I said this is crazy I've just had a message from Mitch and she's and so she said oh you know when you see him make sure you say a big hello from me and but you know I had a huge yeah. chat with her which which I loved yeah, and how great you did that it was it was lovely because uh, I mean I met her you know a few years earlier and that was one of those examples we were talking about before about how it was. I mean, we we had a private conversation. There was no way I was going to sort of share yeah. it. But in a way, I was like, man, this would be an amazing thing to record. Yes. But I'm never going to. And so th- we actually got to do that. And you, you finally know? got we, to do we it. We got yeah. to do it. But um, it really had a big effect on me that conversation. And when I was editing it, um, or listening back to it and pulling a couple of things out of it, obviously I put put a lot of Stevie's music into it and I hadn't listened to his stuff for, for, for quite years, a while yeah. yeah because you come and go with stuff and, yeah, and, and you know it you know you yeah, don't need yeah. to be reminded of it all the time because you know it but uh, I just played um, fuck what's the last album of his um, I should know it because it's the well there's one. the brothers one the brothers. no the one before that like his last Empty um, Arms no 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 the one with um, oh god I've had a total mind blank yeah me too the one too, with uh, Riviera, Riviera, Riviera Paradise, Paradise and stuff, yeah, but, you know, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all his albums are great, but that one, I was, oh. I listening to it, I was just like, this is some fucking profound playing. Like, it's yeah. a beautiful record. And she helped get him clean too. She oh yeah, yeah, we talked was, a lot that about a, that. It was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, but just like the whole conversation was great. But listening to that album again, I got means a lot different. It's a lot different now that once you spoke to Jana. Yeah, it kind of was, I think. Yeah. And I, I just got, I got, I played, I played through most of them. And I've I've always actually really loved that Vaughan Brothers album. I think it's quite yes, cool. Yes, me too. It's, it's sort of Steve um, Jordan's production is quite yeah, flat, isn't it? Yeah, but I just there's something really cool about it. I think there's a you know there's there's enough good songs to get it over the line, and and there's just sort of something kind of charming about it. I think like a sort of yeah. um, I don't know. It's I love like, hard to be. Yeah, hard to be. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Do yeah. That with the band. Yeah, well, it's a great that, you know that's a great song. That's what I mean. There's a couple of really really cool yeah. songs on it, and and even the slightly hokey things. There's something very charming about it. It's a bit TikTok. Yeah. Who th- who knew? <laughs> yeah. I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> what convinced Stevie to do that? I mean, it's it's totally different sound, but it's a bit like that first Finn Brothers album they did together. The, yeah. the, the idea of of these two brothers yeah. connecting through music yeah. in that way and yeah. and being open to to being a little bit rustic you know a little yeah. bit unpolished yeah there's something about yeah. that i think yeah. um, with it but with the brothers album yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. but i listened to a, cu- a couple of stevie's records um i just played them for days and days after listening back to that interview and and and, yeah. and you know layering choosing the songs for it yeah. and stuff and, and putting the episode together I, I just and it was it was amazing because I hadn't listened to this stuff very much for yeah. a few years and man yeah. I just got hooked on it. But some of those um, so, uh, solos on that like Wall of Denial and Tightrope and those songs, oh. so they just I was just like fuck. This is actually like you know beyond virtuoso playing. There's something very 
technically dazzling about it and utterly soulful. Which utterly is, soulful. Which is a hard mix for people to pull off, oh, you yeah. know, really. And he that's what he had, it. right? He no, could, that's he right. He could play that, but every note meant something. Yeah, that's right. I would have loved to see in his new direction what he was going to do. Well, that's going, what I mean. You look at that album. Now we're going to move to New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of Texas. Yep. Get away from all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, and she talked a bit about that. But yeah, yeah, that that album too is a bit of a, a little bit of a signpost of where he was going to go. I mean, yeah. as I say, that that closer review era paradise. I mean, he was going to go work with Nile Rodgers, wasn't yeah. it? Imagine yeah, imagine that. Yeah, that would have been a turning point. Yeah, yeah that would have been yeah. a good. Yeah. Record. Yeah. yeah, which direction he was going to go in? I think he was getting a bit tired. He said, "Man, you know, I remember, I remember him saying, I'm fucking." Fucking sick of Stevie Ray fucking Vaughan. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm sick of being Stevie Ray Vaughan. You know, yeah, all of that. Yeah, because he's he struck me as a guy who you know, um, it was never about fame or anything for him. It was about playing. So he he wanted to do that thing that I guess a lot of people have tried yeah. to do. Clapton tried to do it. You know, the the anonymity thing of of disappearing somehow into the band rather than being like yeah, yeah, yeah. Front and yeah. I front. You know, I went to I could, his funeral. I actually yeah, I was going to ask you that because I was going to say I think the first time we really kind of connected in any way was was about Stevie Ray Vaughan. I yeah, think I think was. you wrote to me. I, I would have written that piece I wrote about maybe when he um, was ten years gone or, or, or whatever. Yeah, that. Yeah. And I wrote yeah. a piece about it, and I've sort of yeah. revised that piece over the yeah. years and added a couple of things to it. And you you wrote to me and yeah. you know said you read it and you sent me a photo of the statue of the memorial. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how we first yeah. sort of got right. talking. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was. Um, that was interesting. Wow. The funeral. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was. It was just, it was totally unbelievable that that had actually happened. Because mm. when we, you know, when we hit, when we were doing the Burning Rain album, Stevie and Jana were coming out. That's when it happened. Yeah. Right, in the yeah. middle of the recording. Yeah, of course. And he was yeah. going to come and play on a track. Yeah, yeah. right. I hadn't actually quite, I hadn't actually quite put that together. That that's exactly the timing of it. Oh, yeah, timing. so, I wow. Couldn't believe, couldn't believe that shit happening. Yeah. We phoned up American Airlines. Who have just come to New Zealand and said, mm. "Listen, you know, I'm a good friend Steve Ray Vaughan, and we'd like to go to the funeral." And they gave me free airfare wow. there and back. Wow! And wow. they were just starting to come yes, here. Yeah. They stopped after a few yeah, years. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, what an occasion! It, it's like Texas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like your steak, sir? Well, just cut its throat, wipe its ass, and bring it on <laughs> out. You know that whole kind yeah. of Texan thing. Yeah, and. Uh, and and uh, we were sort of out. We weren't part of the inner circle. There were so many people. We were there. I mean, I spoke to Jana and Sina was, but mm. it was very brief, you know, because mm. you know all that stuff about what Jim did the day, change all the locks mm. in Stevie's house, mm. and all, you know about all that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I do. Of course, you, yeah, you, yeah. I think you, Simon, and uh, you and I are the only ones that know all that stuff, and I never talk about it. You know, but yeah. you've talked to Jana about it, but that was mm. disgusting. Mm. I'd met him a few times, Jimmy, over the period of time. Because I lived in Stevie's house for mm. three or four months at one stage mm. with Jana there. Mm. He liked having me around, Stevie did, because I was like a slightly more father figure, yeah. slightly older. Yeah. And Jana knew my son. They went to, right. grew up yeah, yeah. in Tai Tai yeah. and Rongatai together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he liked having me around if he wasn't about. I yeah. was kind of there, and she was like brand new. She was like all of a sudden living with this big star yeah, yeah, in yeah. Dallas, and didn't know anyone, and would she be sitting at home by herself? Or yeah. just he just liked having me around. We were good friends, you yeah, know. And, he, yeah. and, and, and um, from that that point of view, it was really cool, you know. And um, <laughs> and she was told, I mean, he'd open them in the fridge and go, "Oh man." You've seen all this stuff and all this green stuff. And Steve was the, he liked a big steak. You know? <laughs> so, it, so it was, what, it was one in the morning. He went, come, 
hey man, come on, come on, come on. Said, what? Come on, man, come on, come on. Charlie's asleep. We, we're going out for a steak. <laughs> Get in the car, we'd sneak out down to the side. He'd already phoned up in this big restaurant that um, would be ready for us and go in and have a huge big steak. We'd sneak back home to the house. Yeah. <laughs> I've never told Joe that. <laughs> <laughs> She'll know now. Oh, um, just yeah, great stories. The, you know. the, um, anyway, yeah. the funeral. Yeah. Uh, Showbiz, right? It's mm. still fucking showbiz. It's Texas. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, the, top, big, the big show. Billy Gibbons, yeah, yeah. Dusty, and Frank Beard. They yeah. all turn up. You know, Stevie Wonder was there. Bonnie Raitt was there. Wow. Uh, quite a few people I sort of knew but didn't know. Yeah. All the local Texas guys and Delbert McClinton. Yeah. Uh, everyone who was everyone, and I didn't really know a lot of them by face to face. You're giving me flashbacks to the. Um, I, I think I still have it somewhere. The Guitar World sort of anniversary tribute edition that had photos. Yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've still got that. Yeah. yeah, so I remember, th- this is bringing up sort of some of the photos from that in my mind, yeah. yeah and yeah. there was the, uh, all these limos were turning up and then this huge big black limo turns up and it's Billy Gibbons yeah. with his wife and he's got the, the gunslinger's tie. They all wore the long coats, mm. the long Texas Ranger outfit with the hat immaculate hmm. and he got out of his limo with his wife and would drive off and then the next limo came in it was dusty hill mm. wearing the same 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 i mean it was just <laughs> just texas yes yeah panache <laughs> and then frank beard came out with it they all wore the same things the texas gunslinger outfits so cool you know um since you brought him up what do you think jimmy's deal was do you think he was quite jealous of stevie yeah, I was. So I got yeah, sidetracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would turn up at the house sometimes, or we'd go to a gig, or we'd be together. And when I was with Stevie and, and Jana, he was always quite nice to me. But mm. whenever Stevie wasn't around, um, he wasn't particularly interested or friendly at all. Yeah, right. Because I bumped into him a few times when we, were, we lived in uh, we lived in Austin for a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's another part of it. I haven't talked to you. About. <laughs> it was 1990. Yeah, we got this thing called. Um, Memphis in May, they have it every year, and a feature of country, and we got asked to go and play, and we played on this big stage in Memphis, and then we said, right, we're here, let's stay in the country, yeah. <laughs> go to Austin, and we went to Austin and starved <laughs> for six months, got a few little gigs here and there, yeah. blah, 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 and the Thunderbirds were around and went up to him and said hello, because I'd met him, yeah. he just sat there and looked up and down, yeah. Yeah. and just didn't want to know, didn't really want to know. And, and, and so when I was with Stevie and Jana, he was really nice. Because mm, the T-Birds are great. Yeah. Like the he wasn't fucking nice great. He, wasn't, he and didn't like her. He didn't like yeah. Jana. No, I got that feeling. And and I thought she was a horror man. She yeah, kind of like he like, didn't, yeah. Like a, yeah. yeah. Didn't have the big Dallas blondie flick. Mm, he, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say, I don't know a whole lot about him, but my understanding from, you know, from talking to you now and, and talking mm-hmm. to Jana yeah. and, um, and reading a bit about him and knowing his music is, you know, it's kind of a great shame because the dude's obviously talented. You know, he's a great player. But I, I sort of got the feeling that, you know, he's the big brother. He's probably quite d- desperately jealous of... Oh, I'd say so. Because what he was oh, doing I'd is, a, so. you know, I mean, some people would even prefer his playing to Stevie's because it's a different thing. But Stevie had sort of, you know, 
the flash, right? In the right way, in too. The right way. In the right way. Yeah, you the know, X factor. Yeah, the X factor. Exactly. Young generation. And he got the column inches. You know, he got yeah. he got written up as a kind of saviour of the blues, a reinventor. Right. A, Whereas know. the T Birds were just a yeah, they're basically a, a little pub band. But they're good. Oh, but shit, it's real good. But that's what I mean. They were with their albums yeah, and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. with their material, and they were great. But yeah, and then Stevie came along and said, "Move over, big brother." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And it just like wow. Yeah. Next it was the world. Yeah. I'd say there was definitely envy there. You know? Yeah, because his mum was nice too. I met her a few times. She yeah. was lovely. Yeah. She was just lovely. You know? Yeah. I, I think that you know, because Jana was in the picture by then. But I was I met her before Jana in the yeah, early days. Yeah. He was still living at home. Stevie yeah. was pretty much so. You know, yeah. took me around to the house a few times. And once again, you know, Australia was the big thing back then. Um, anything Australian like Foster's beer and uh, Crocodile Dundee yeah, was all yeah, over yeah, television. Yeah. But New Zealand was like, oh, yeah. New Zealand. Oh, okay, so yeah. it was a bit of a, I was a bit of a novelty, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was lovely. Yeah, she was lovely. And, yeah. So, yeah, but the, so Jimmy, yeah, yeah. And, and Jana even made reference to it in the book. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, and she's, she's talked to me a few times about that, and, um, yeah, no, it's there. It's there in the yeah. book for, yeah. and kind of nice, uh, uh, you know, sort of subtle but pointed or something. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, given what's happened and gone down, it's, she's quite, um, yeah what's the word she's quite respectful in a way you yes. know like she's yeah. just but yeah I noticed you know she doesn't even like using his name she she talks about him as the brother you know yeah. his brother yeah. but, or, you know because uh, you know there's a lot of pain there there's a lot of damage yeah. done yeah. Um, yeah. see speaking of pain and damage so it takes you a, a while to get over Stevie's death because it, because it's a catastrophic death it's oh, the, a, yeah. a freakish accident and then you've got this friendship but you've also got this working relationship and as you yeah. say you're about to you know yeah. put out an album that you're hoping you're going to have him on which yeah. is going to mean a lot yeah of course it means a lot yeah. as well as like you know people say oh you know back in those days oh you know Steve Ravel mm-hmm. you know yeah and I said yeah it's it's a personal friendship yeah. it's not a you know it's not a, yeah, I never yeah. trumpeted it I ever no, went no, no, saying no. hey me and Stevie <laughs> we like you know uh, none of that ever 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 two guys who like the same music yeah, really two, eh? right. two, was two the, guys who love playing music and listening to it that's yeah. the basis of yeah. it a great way for a friendship to start yeah, isn't yeah, it, you yeah, know? yeah yeah and uh, the conversations the stuff he told me I wish I'd taped a lot yeah. of the stories, you know, Lightning Hopkins stories and stuff, and just oh, all also, that shit. Also, he's a, he's a guy who had a cool voice, didn't he, Stevie? I love listening to Oh, the hell yeah. I love listening to the little interviews yeah. you can find of him. He just sounded cool, oh, you know? God, and he geez. obviously he was very spiritual and soulful, particularly, you know, post-recovery. Yes. Towards the end of his life. Yeah. Really quite, you know, really wise yeah. and, and, uh, and deep, but... Actually, just a cool speaking voice, <laughs> a cool <laughs> yeah. person to listen to. Oh, like, easy to talk to. Yeah, just yeah. great. Okay, it, it was really good. So, yeah, so we stayed in Austin for six months, and mm. it was great because we didn't go anywhere. We got gigs and met a lot of local musicians who came along, and they really liked Lynn Campbell's guitar playing because mm. she was hot and mm. the bitch guitar player, you know, <laughs> in the nicest possible way. Mm. You know? mm. and got to see some great bands. Um, one guy who really took a fancy to Campbell was. Uh, what was his name? He had a, a woman named uh, Tracy Kilbro. Tracy uh, Kilbro. Yeah. And he was the, the roadie. He was the stage guy for Sleep at the Wheel. Yeah. Gives used to give us free tickets. Yeah. So we go and watch Sleep at the Wheel at the Broken Spoke. Yeah. Oh, they were 
great. What yeah. a great band. Yeah. Just brilliant. Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Um, the main guy. Ray. Um, yeah. Uh, Ray Benson. Yeah. Ray Benson. So he said, hey, would you like to come and meet the band? And I was like, oh, on the bus. They got their bus outside. So a really old school mm. greyhound. They had. Mm. So we go in there and he says, hey, one thing. Don't look at his feet. Do not look at Ray's shoes, man. He's very sensitive about the size of his feet. <laughs> Do not look at his feet. Okay, we go in here. And uh, so we're chatting to them and meeting them. It was really nice, you know. And um, so I said to him, what, how did you get into Western Swing? Well, man, yeah, yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm a Texas, I uh, know. Well, I'm a Philadelphia Jew boy. Uh, <laughs> I woke up one morning, heard Bob Wills on the radio. Got on the bus, came to Texas, and never left. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That's what he said to me. <laughs> Philadelphia Jew boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as we were leaving, I just couldn't resist looking down at his boots. Yeah. Custom made, beautiful boots. Quite a few of them all sitting beside the thing. Mm. But he was a dude. Yeah, it was great. But anyway, so that was that one. Then we went back home, and then we decided to go to America again, which we did. Mm. And uh, Stevie was on the road a lot, sort of caught up with the times. And but we stayed there for a year, and we toured all through the South. We played in New Orleans, played in Louisiana for bugger all money. Mm. But you just do it. Oh, it was an amazing thing yeah. to do. Yeah. South by Southwest had just started, right? So we yeah, were, yeah. were probably ten cool. years too early, you yeah. know. But we got made a lot of friends and uh, got to know Delvin McClinton really well. Wow, yeah, yeah. And he's he's lovely. He's, yeah, you know, he's he's a lovely guy. And a lot of those Texas guys we kind of met, and they were all he's made some Eric practice. Johnson. We yeah. met him a few oh, yeah. times through yeah. Stevie. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I remember right. going to BB King. BB, he phoned up and said, "Hey." I was staying with, I had a relationship with a, a woman by then in, in Dallas. The second time I went back and mm. went for about two years. He called and said, hey, I got tickets to BB. You want to come? Okay. So we went into town and, and um, of course, we got backstage, mm. you know. And once again, they had a nice little chat and I just sort of sat there and took it all in. It was yeah, great. wow. And who was the bass player? Session bass player, black guy, was the session guy in, Chicago, in California for years and years. And he came from Dallas and he moved back and he had a little trio bass player. He played on Silly Dan stuff as well. Oh, yeah, I know who you mean. I can't think of his name now, but yeah, as soon yeah. as you said that, I put that picture of him talking on that Steely Dan doco. Um, yeah, 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 I know who you mean. Yeah, uh, no. That, we went to backstage that too as well. Because Stevie, you know, everywhere he walks, you know, everywhere mm. he goes, people say, hey, well, shake mm. hands and say hello. So getting backstage to see any of those guys is mm. easy, mm. you know, mm. easy peasy. And um, you've kept making records? Yeah. You put, a, you put one out a couple of years ago? Yeah. Maybe is it three years ago nearly? Two, yeah. two three came years? Back, uh, we came back and... I just carried on playing. Yeah, I was going to say, you're still just, playing. Just, and just keep touring around and playing. You've done a few interesting things, like one thing I haven't mentioned, I mean, there's so much we could talk about, but collaboration with Roger Fox. Yeah. Is an interesting yeah. thing. That was really cool to yeah. do that, actually, yeah. in the early days of the yeah. band. Yeah. Some challenging bloody material. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, really? Because I talked with Roger recently, and he brought that up. He was saying how that was a cool thing to do, you know? It was like, a cool yeah, thing yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't read music. Yes. I really struggled. Yeah, with it, yeah, yeah. So he'd write these coders out for me to know yes. when. Because you can't just walk up and start singing the next yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you've got to hit your mark. Yeah, 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 your yeah, mark, yeah, yeah. That was a hell of a good experience for me. We did two. Yeah. So that with the Winchboard. Boys on the second one. Yes. 
Uh, I know that one, yeah. Well, Martin was on the second album, yeah. The Boys Are Back in Town, or something like that. Yeah. That's right, that's and, right. And uh, so I just carried on playing. Then I got uh, interest from um, uh, Liberation um, Mushroom. Right. Yep. They were doing a series of acoustic albums. That's they right. done a whole series of acoustic Yeah, him and Gamble. Great and, idea. And, yeah, lots of the Aussie bands, that's right. Metal as anything. And yep. what they did was, all of a sudden, cafes and bars were the next thing. Yes. And they wanted music. They like playing common, well-known music, you know, if they can. Yeah. So they get, got them all to their back catalogue in an acoustic style, so yeah, you can still hear the music in the background. You could recognise it, but you it was a bit subtler, it. like, for, for uh, yeah, for, for hospitality reasons. So we did that album, and I did another two, right. two Bill Lake songs, yep. and um, then we did another one just two years ago, That's right. called Back to the World. So and that, um, you did a great cover of one of Darren's songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's cool how you've... you've kind of um you know covered obviously a bunch of stuff yeah. but like cool sort of and i still play a lot of his songs yeah on the gig. still always have still cool getting these kiwi songwriters you yeah. know and sort of giving them their juice yeah 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 i've always done bill songs right yeah from way back yeah i've recorded about six or eight of his yeah, songs yeah 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 as has as has darren you know like yeah he's, an, uh, he's a guy who loves bill stuff too yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, Bill's, and Bill's about to put out the new album. Lovers and Ocean. Yeah, no, I, I can't find it. It's not out yet. It's coming oh, really soon. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Why I can't I, find it. I think it's like. And they put month. a bit of teaser out there about. Yeah, that's three, right. Yeah, yeah, ago, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, Nick's been put dropping. There's a page and stuff on Facebook for it. Nick's been dropping little, yeah, little yeah. hints oh, and things. Good. So I think it's a couple of weeks away or a month away or something. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah they're having a, like a launch. I think in maybe October. Oh, are they yeah, in yeah. Wellington. In Wellington. Yeah, 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 yeah. I might try and get to that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll message you the details like I'll, when I find them. Yeah, I better give you my new email address. Yeah, too. yeah it's cool. not the one on, on your page. It's not yeah, the one. Yeah. Okay. It, it doesn't exist. Uh, Bill Lake, uh, the Stratocaster. Ding, 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 had the Strat. Blah, blah, blah. Went to Wellington and yep. all of a sudden, about 65, 66 maybe, Strats were out. Gibsons was the new band. Mm-hmm, mm. So they were like, oh, yeah. And I sold my Fender Stratocaster. Mm. Sold it. I don't know who to or how much for. Uh, but Rick Bryant, Rick, not Rick, Rick White ended mm. up with it, mm. and he had a little furniture repairing business up Aro Road, oh, yeah, right opposite yeah, Epuni, yeah, yeah, yeah. little on the corner, on the corner yeah. of Devon. He had a little yeah. f- furniture restoring sort of shop. Rick White, he's a funny bug, old Rick. <laughs> but his bands in the day were good. Tom Thumb was a great band. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, through another person, he said. Uh, Mitch, I've got your Stratocaster. I've ended up with your Stratocaster, and someone has stripped the fucking paint completely off it because it was the hippie days and red mm, guitars mm, were mm, out, so mm. it was completely wood. So he said, I um, I put some uh, I put some brown sort of varnishy brown to cover the wood to keep to protect the wood, mm. and um, and that was the last I heard of it. And the next thing you know, 1970, 71, Bill turns up with this Stratocaster with no paint on it, and said, Oh. I do believe this is your old strat. I said, Bill, you've got it. How cool's that? You know, it could never be in better hands. Yeah, yeah. And so, fortunately, its providence has always been. I've known where it was. Yeah, yeah, funny. Because a lot of people sell and they say, oh, I wish I'd never sold my strat. Blah, 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 blah. But what a songwriter, eh, Bill? Hey? Bill Lake, what a songwriter. Oh, man. So he had it for 70, 1970 till. Two years ago, yeah, um, we we're doing more of his songs and stuff. But anyway, out of the blue, he phoned up Neil Hannah and said, "Look, uh, uh, Neil, I go into my you know my music room and I'm thinking, shit, the old Stratocaster is still sitting there with no strings on it. I haven't touched it in three years. Mm. 
So he phoned up Neil and said, you know, I'd like Midge to have it back. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I said, you're kidding me. How much does he want for it? (laughs) Because obviously I would have paid him. Yeah. (laughs) If he wanted some money. Because Stratocasters now, like, go through the roof. A a mint-conditioned 60 Strat is worth 55 US, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he gave it back to me. Wow. But I thought, oh, that's cool. That's yeah, his cool. Yeah, I think, well, maybe he's made a, probably a bit of money from the royalties over the years and yeah. the songs I've recorded. <laughs> he decided I don't play it. What can I do? Yeah. I'll give it back to him. That's cool. So that's I'm going to do some more of his yeah. songs. Of well, man, you can't it's go, you can't, kind of can't go wrong in a way. He's such a great songwriter and, and, and sort of, again, again, underrated, underappreciated, I think. Yeah. Although, you know, the people that know, know, right? I, yeah. But I, I'm looking forward to that new album. I hope it's... Yeah, me too. I hope, it, yeah. it's, I hope it's great, and, but I just like the fact that yeah. it's, it's going to exist. On the 12 Bars from Mars album, I did... Uh, it was sort of... It was like rock blues for mm. a while there. Everything mm. was frantic. Mm. The pace of it was frantic. It was all just... <laughs> everything, mm. everything was flat stick. We did Blue Murder, one of his songs. Yeah. And yeah, when the lights go out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So on the acoustic album, we redid them. Yeah. Darren was really good on that acoustic, and we got him up from Wellington. Yeah. And he came and said, "Right, I think this is the way we should do it." And he played all the guitar on it, mm. and we redid Bill's songs at a better pace, and some of my older songs, mm. lower key, sorry, mm. lower key, and a nicer pace and a nicer feel. He was great mm. on that album. He was really good on that album for me. And, well, he's a great player, right? Oh, and, and, and again, a, a guy. The, yeah, and the tone of it, and mm. the way we took everything back and took it, because it was an acoustic album, it made it easier. Yeah, yeah. Made it really easy. His, his idea to redo Burning Rain in a kind of like a gospel sort of way, yeah. like a piano. Yeah. He just sat at the piano. Well, Darren's another guy that, you know, um, huge knowledge and love of yeah. music, like mm, almost, you know, almost a train spottery kind oh, of yes, knowledge yeah. with he's music. He's staunch about it all. Yeah, yeah, but man, he knows his stuff. Sure, like, he is. really, really does, and yeah. uh, and good taste, yes. you know, oh, but, yeah. but he really does know, and like I really enjoy talking to him about, say, like, things like pop songwriting, you know, not just blues stuff. Like, yeah, he knows yeah. the blues stuff in and out, but, you know, he's a fanatic, he's a McCartney fanatic and an Elvis Costello fanatic, and, you know, some of those great sort of pop songwriters. Pop yeah, absolutely. Is. Yeah. He put a post up the other day about Neil Finn's new album, a song oh, called yes. Something Widow. Oh, Widow's Peak. Widow's yes. Peak. Yeah. He said, what a great, it great is. song. It is. It's amazing. It's very, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting album, that new Neil Finn album. It's quite beautiful. Like, it's... Is it not out yet? No, it's out. Yeah, it's out. it came out last week. It's, it's, uh, he recorded the whole thing, like, live. On yeah, Facebook. I was watching. Yeah, yeah, like I was, well, did the. I was watching this. Yeah, did those sessions and what then, a great idea. Yeah, to do it that way. yeah, so cool. And then the album, it's going to come out on vinyl in a month or so, but it's out on CD and oh, was it streaming. Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's it's only about thirty five minutes long. It's nice, short, like yeah. ten songs. It's they're all just like three minute pop songs, quite um, maudlin, but. But um, yeah, there's some beautiful stuff on there. Yeah. So, will you make another record? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. At the moment, as we speak, I've just got together with Neil Hannon a couple of months ago, and Tony Cowper who's looking after me now. Works, oh yeah. Frontier, he's really helpful. He's really. Oh, helpful. I like Tony. He's, he's cool. A good yeah. Man. Say hi to him for me. Oh, I, I will. Really I like told him I was coming yeah. to see. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's no, a he's, good man. He's yeah, really. Yeah, I don't. I don't like many people in the, in the <laughs> industry, and 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 loads of them don't like me. I think, but I've always thought Tony was great. No, he's really very good. Dude. Great for me. Yeah. He stepped in with yeah. the liberation thing. That's how yes, that got done. Yes, of course. And he now he does my business for me, which yeah. is just so no. Good. I always thought he's a good dude. And we got together and got all my back stuff, found screeds of it, mm. and they've gone through and picked out 
a double CD is going to come out in November. Oh, I saw you. T- yeah, I saw you posting about that because yeah. you asked um, Murray about travelling on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And he said, "Yeah, you can have it." Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So you're gonna. So it's gonna be like a, an anthology. Yeah, pretty much. Kind so. of. Yeah, yeah. You're like a, a, a select. You know. With, yeah. And, and I've put a couple of Bill's uh, uh, the, the, the the 83 versions of Bill's songs, <laughs> which are just like whoa. Mm. But anyway, they sound not too bad. Mm. Stuff I did with Phil Manning, just a double CD with mm. a, a compilation. Mm. Mm. The one thing I did forgot to mention too, I did a. I met up with all these friends in Dallas the very first year I was there, and Stevie mm. met them all. He knows them all. Mm. And they all came from Mississippi. And David was, was an attorney, a, a lawyer in Mississippi, and he had uh, a lot of black friends, and they followed blues from day one. Yeah. And they've grown up in it, you yeah. know. And um, he, um, he sent me this stuff. Say, look, Old Miss is just up the road. He's living in Aberdeen. Or near Tupelo, in Oxford is the Mississippi University, and so they're doing a course. They're doing a course there, and there's a guy called David Ashoff doing a. Um, it's a five-month complete course on um, the history of Southern culture. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to do it? I said, oh, shit. So I got a bit of money from New Zealand Air, not yeah, much. Yeah. Well, it wasn't New Zealand Air back then. It was New Zealand, you apply for a grant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They gave me about two or three grand to get over there. And I went and lived in his house. And I went to this course for five, six months. In, uh, lived in the dormitory yeah. for some time wow. in, in, in University of Mississippi. Yeah. God, wow. it was good. Yeah, I bet. The archives. Wow. For, yeah. They had B.B. King's. Amazing. A collection in, in, the, in, in, in a, a vault. Yeah. He'd given all their his 78 collection to yeah. them, and it was wonderful. God, it was. So that was another part that I. And um, Alice Walker was one of the tutors, mm. not Bill Bryson, who was the, the guy who's written all those. He lived in Mississippi, lived in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, all those movies, uh, books that made into movies. They are. In the last 10, 15 years, he was one of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy that managed Bob Dylan in Sun House. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Waterman. Yeah. Dick Waterman. Yeah. All these people wow. would go on field trips. It was phenomenal. Wow. So I yeah. did that. Yeah, cool. 1995 did that. Wow. That was brilliant. Awesome. That was a neat thing to do. Yeah. You know? I thought I knew something about blues, but man, that opened up a whole new part of that music I had no idea about, you know. Hey, when All you, that Geller and Geechee stuff, I didn't know anything about. Uh, you're still playing yeah. shows and stuff. So when you do yeah. the, when you do the anthology compilation thing, yeah, will you tour that? Like, will you yeah. go and do? Yeah, probably some not until next year. Yeah, yeah. So you'll yeah. you'll you'll support that. You'll, yeah, yeah. It might be my last thing. I think. Yeah, I was going to say it. That's sounding like a swan song. Like, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, what a good way to go out. Like, uh, well, I'm 72. Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming up to 73, and yeah, and not that I don't want to do it anymore it's just harder for the old school you know yeah you know what is a uh, hey 19 what is it uh, <laughs> i played that last night i was um, djing in golden dawn i played that song yeah, i look at your crate too oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't you play that one yeah yeah uh, what is, uh, hard times before the soul survivors <laughs> yeah, right? yeah yeah great line yeah. yeah 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 so it's just you know, I've still got a good following, still get good crowds. I do a lot of yeah. acoustic duo things with Chet O'Connell. We go out yes, and do yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of a bit of a money earner, and you're not sort of going, mm. having to haul ass a band around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do the odd blues festival here and there, and little things, you know, get private gigs. And, but it's just getting to the point where, uh, I don't know, I just... Well, you know, know. You, you grow out of things, right? Yeah. You do things for such a long time yeah. that... It's not so much that you get bored by it, but it just it gets hard to sustain. 
yeah. one way or another. Like there's a, a lot of things. Like there's your your time and energy, the effort, you know, how, Babysitting how you feel about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> ask Watson about that. He goes, <laughs> Anyone yeah. is running a band, it's just like... Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, I was going to say, like the, the egos to, to massage, to keep, yeah. to keep in line, the the hours, oh. the unpaid hours, all of that stuff gets and very and Less and less venues, with. and my yes. age group are getting older, yeah, and yeah. they don't go out as much as they used no. to. No, no. So exactly. end on a high, you know, as Spike Milligan says, you know, retire before the ointment wears off. I've always loved that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, retire before the appointment wears off. You know. <laughs> oh, mate, that, feels like, that feels like a good place for us to retire this conversation. Although, yeah. is there anything else you want to? No, say? no I think we've. I keep thinking of new things, but I think yeah. we've covered. No, we've done heaps, and it's been a great. Heaps. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. Well, thank um, you for this because I probably needed to do this. Yeah, you reckon? In some ways, well. Just in case I need to refer to anything, or yeah, maybe good. we might think about a book. Gifford's always saying to me, you need to do a book. Yeah, which is, no, I don't. yeah, yeah, you no, do. No, what I'd like to do, as is, is a, is a book, is find a lot of musicians who have done things over the years and get them each to write a little three little, or four pages yeah. of something in their career that means Because that's the interesting thing. I, I rack my brains about, uh, well, I... I, I I shouldn't say brains because I've, I've barely got one, but I, I, I wonder about... Um, ideas for books you know yeah. in a perfect world and I think like unfortunately like a lot of New Zealand musicians they just don't warrant a full book no so no, you're right but, they, but there are loads of people that have have are great or some great stories and so yeah picking up I mean Norman Mann's doing really good work like that he he just did the book about New Zealand jazz lives yes. which is great where he yeah. really talked to you know and he puts he sort of he sort of translates it like it's their words, like it's one half of it. He has a conversation with them and then he writes Norman? About Norman Mann. He's a, a Wellington based jazz pianist oh, and educator. How do you spell his name? M E E H A N. Man. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he, yeah. So he just wrote. Yeah. This, he just wrote this really good book where he talks to people like you know Jeff Henderson and Ant Donaldson and you know um, uh, what's his name uh, the. Um, Frank Gibson, you yeah, know, like yeah. people like that. Who again, you know, you don't want a whole book about these people, but no. they make a great chapter in a book, and so that's what he he's done. That's what he's done. Yeah, right. and, yeah, and it's really gone good. now. Yeah, yeah well, that's it. They're gone or they're going. You know, they're going to. Years ago, they're going to go. You know, yeah, that's it. Well, that's a little part of me doing this, doing these recordings yeah, is is, is, is grabbing people when you can, yeah. Get, yeah. getting them when they when they want to do it, when yeah. they're able to do it. And and just having a conversation and having it archived. Yeah, you know, totally. That's, that's an important part of it. I yeah, think, I think you know, I think so too. You know, I I, I want. I don't to think do. I've got enough for a book. I, I'm just not that really interested. You know, like here we go. It's like I was born at birth to both my parents. <laughs> um, you know, here we go. <laughs> and a lot of the stories you can't tell. Some of the <laughs> shit that went on in Texas, we just like awesome, dodgy, wild shit. You know, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> man. Maybe I'll maybe maybe I'll tell you that I've turned the tape recorder off yeah. uh, like this, and then we'll just keep it going, and you can you know tell some of those stories. <laughs> tell some of those. Stories. I want you to tape some. No, well, no, no, no. I want you to keep. Oh, I'm going to pretend. I'm going to pretend that I've I've turned it off. <laughs> I got you. I'm falling again Yeah, I'm falling again And I'm waiting for rain 
see it in the stars, and it's written in stone. I read it in the cards, I hear it on the phone. Heard it in the promises that I knew you'd bring. It amazes me what love's prepared to take. I'm falling again, yeah, I'm falling again. Feel it in the air.